You're listening to the Pastor Writer Podcast, Episode 1. In this first episode of the Pastor Writer Podcast, I explore how I came to writing, my own personal journey, and why I think writing is important as more than just putting down words, why it's important as a spiritual discipline. Writing has the ability to deepen you as a person, to help you see things and recognize things that you've been overlooking. But the first step is always getting started. Writing the first words is oftentimes the hardest. For a long time, I've wanted to write. But I've always joked that the last thing the world needs is more 20-somethings who think it's their time to set the world straight by writing a book. I figured writing was something better left for later in life, though now being past my 20s, that excuse isn't worth as much these days as it used to be. The truth is, I don't often write because getting started is hard. There's the famous line that goes, writers love to have written, meaning writers like to be done. I think it's also true for the other side of that equation. Writers love to think about writing. We jot down titles, we talk about book ideas, we read and find ourselves thinking, I could do better than that. But rarely do we open a new Word document and actually start writing sentences. Thinking about writing is far more entertaining than actually doing it. Last year, a pastoral friend and mentor challenged me on my excuses. He pointed out that given my bivocational approach to ministry, I'm not only a pastor but also work as a freelance web designer, I had the remarkable gift of flexible time. If I wanted, I could carve out a few hours every week to work on writing. He challenged me to do it. Stop talking about it. If God had put it on my heart and made a way, why not get started? My problem wasn't entirely needing to start. I had been writing off and on for years, but I rarely shared any of it publicly. I had even written a terrible book manuscript while in seminary. It was terrible because most of it was just a cheap imitation of what I was reading or hearing elsewhere. I don't think it was a waste of time, though. I'm not of the opinion that everything I think needs to hit the web. Sometimes the process of writing serves no other purpose than to clarify my own thoughts. Every great musician has to get started by practicing and copying scales, and rarely do they perform those scales in front of other people. It's a critical part of learning to find your own voice. But there were probably things along the way worth sharing that I neglected to say publicly. My hesitation to hit publish has never really been about fear, or rather some naive hope that maybe someday I would suddenly be good enough to do it the way I wanted, the way I imagined. If I spent my life thinking about writing, then maybe someday 20 years from now I might just wake up and be a writer, as if watching Major League Baseball for a decade might somehow help me develop a Major League curveball without having ever actually stood on a mound. The truth is, thinking about writing is far too often an excuse to actually writing. Wanting to be a writer gets in the way of actually doing the writing. That's ironic, isn't it? Kind of sad, but it's been true for me and I know for many others. The frustrated attempts to actually start seem to be universal. Hemingway explained, There is nothing to writing. All you do is sit down on the typewriter and bleed. Or as Stephen King put it, The scariest moment is always just before you start. I think starting is hard because what we have in mind is always far greater than the resources in front of us, the resources, the tools we're equipped with to accomplish the task. A blank screen and a working vocabulary, which for most Americans averages around 20,000 words, a paltry 8% of the estimated 250,000 words in the English language. Our access to that quarter of a million words 
a 5-inch by 11-inch keyboard with 26 letters and 10 numbers, a spacebar, and a handful of punctuation. With these blocks, we set out to capture truths taller than the pyramids. With these hacked-together symbols, we set out to change the world. Writing a single sentence is not a small task. It is a potential miracle, an act of faith. Is it any surprise that so many of us hesitate, that we pause before pushing our work out into the public? My own hesitation can probably be traced back to middle school. I know no one listens to podcasts to have a host drag up childhood memories. You've got plenty of those memories on your own. You don't need mine. But give me two minutes. I'll keep it short, I promise. I grew up in Jefferson City, Missouri. It's one of the least populated state capitals in America. In the year 2000, the sitting governor, Mel Carnahan, was killed in a small plane crash. That's big news for any state, but in my small capital town, it was devastating. The public schools shut down for the funeral, and I was given the task of reporting on the event for our middle school newspaper. I'm sure what I turned in was terrible. I can still remember some of the cliches I used to describe the processional with its horse-drawn casket and draped American flag. I remember the cliches because I cared a lot about that story. I sensed the significance of the event. With the President of the United States attending the service on the Capitol lawn, I wanted to get it right. But my middle school vocabulary hadn't yet reached its achievement of 8%. I was working with a little bit less. I was surprised when later that week the story I had written wasn't published in the school newspaper. My teacher handed back the pages with a phrase pinned onto the top margin, too maudlin. Yeah, I had absolutely no idea what that word meant either. The teacher suggested I look it up in the dictionary. I'm going to give my teacher the benefit of the doubt on this one, that her dictionary was significantly different than the one that I used to look up her word. Because the dictionary in my hands read simply, maudlin, adjective meaning stupidly sentimental. The second definition wasn't much better, drunk enough to be emotionally silly. Now, don't feel too bad for me. I really wasn't that emotionally scarred by the suggestion. There were no tears, no crushed dreams. Honestly, I wasn't even that hurt. But I sure do remember it. I remember it because I came to a resolute conclusion. Writing must be something I can't do. I moved on. Combined with my terrible spelling, which has plagued me continually since my first school spelling bee, I combined all the pieces of evidence into what seemed to be an obvious conclusion. A writer I would never be. Writing simply wasn't my thing. Most writers talk about knowing they wanted to be a writer since childhood. They talk about writing stories and loving words, devouring classic books, and daydreaming up plots and characters. Was I the only person who actually got a Nintendo 64 for Christmas? Honestly, I didn't discover books until college. I read some when it was absolutely required of me at school, though I usually got all I needed from Sparks Notes. But something happened in college. I discovered there were actually people writing books about topics I was interested in. There were people wrestling with the same questions of faith, people who shared similar experiences and callings. That discovery of books coincided with a kind of spiritual awakening that took me deep into the spiritual classics. Luther and Bart, C.S. Lewis, J.I. Packer, John Stott, Henry Nouwen, Burning Manning, on and on. There were plenty of contemporaries as well. Tim Keller and Eugene Peterson, David Hansen and Wendell Berry. But Bonhoeffer's cost of discipleship played a central role. Bonhoeffer introduced me to writing like this. God says... Discipleship is not limited to what you can comprehend. It must transcend all comprehension. 
Plunge into the deep waters beyond your own comprehension, and I will help you to comprehend even as I do. Bewilderment is the true comprehension. Not to know where you are going is the true knowledge. Or take this passage from C.S. Lewis's Four Loves. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Can I remind you that Lewis and Bonhoeffer work with the same 26 letters that reside on your keyboard? As a preacher and pastor, my career is built around words. But phrases like, wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries, or Bonhoeffer's, not to know where you are going, is the true knowledge. Those words don't just materialize during extemporaneous improvisational public speaking. A well-crafted sentence, the perfect word choice, they take time and attention and skill. Words like Bonhoeffer's and Lewis's become more and more important the more you pay attention to them. They did for me. More than stirring a crowd with some turn of phrase, I wanted to say things with that kind of depth, with that kind of truth. I don't want my preaching to reduce the world down into catchy sound bites, slogans, and cliches. I want to use words in such a way that they expand the categories of the world that they stretch and expand lives into bigger realities, realities of God. Maybe to put it better, I want to find a personal spiritual depth that produces words like theirs. As F. Scott Fitzgerald put it, you don't write because you want to say something. You write because you have something to say. How do I develop the kind of inner life, the kind of spirituality that has something like that worth saying, something I have to say? Now, that is an entirely different goal than becoming a writer. I believe good writing is never actually the goal. Writing isn't abstract. Writing never deals with fantasy. Even its moments of fiction are set down at a real desk in a real world by a real person, a real life. Writing is always done in the particulars of voice and word and context. Writing always flows from a writer. So the real goal is not to write well, not to get the words down well, but to live well, to live the kind of life that produces good writing, to be the kind of person worthy of taking up the task of writing. That's the real goal, or as Thoreau put it, how vain it is to sit down to write when you have not stood up to live. If you are starting to write simply because you want to be a writer, you want to be published, you want an audience, you're going to pretty quickly run out of things to say. Sure, you may get words down on paper, but really, what's the point of that? Do I need to remind you that the Smithsonian Institute found that 27% of Americans last year didn't read a single book? Or the Endowment for the Arts found that 43.1% of Americans have not read any literature in the last 12 months, no novels, short stories, poems, or plays? That's a three-decade low. Or, a Forbes study recently found that 59% of the articles that are shared on social media weren't actually read by the people who shared the link. I'm not trying to discourage you from writing, just to suggest that if you're in this to make a few bucks or to feel better about yourself because people buy your books, 
there are probably a lot easier ways to get that fix. Your desire to write is going to have to come from a much deeper conviction. What we really need are writers with something to say, a kind of writer whose life and spirituality is producing something worth listening to, not just words on pages. So my task was to figure out how to get that started, not just with words, but with the writer's life. Look, pastors produce sermons weekly, sometimes multiple times a week. I'm under no illusion. Not every sermon or church newsletter I write will be some perfect piece of literary craft. But still, getting the words right more and more seemed worth doing. Too often I was finding that my outlined sermons constantly left me in the pulpit searching for phrases, repeating points, desperate to find something that would elicit a visible response from my congregation, something to ease the insecurity of being misunderstood, exposed at the front of the room. I didn't trust what I was saying. I knew what I wanted to say generally, but I was constantly searching for the specific words. I decided to go against the grain of most advice, and I started manuscripting every word of my sermons. I've been doing it now for four years. Most weeks, my sermons are between 3,000 and 4,000 words. I usually preach about 48 weeks out of the year. That means I've written around 672,000 words in the last four years, as much as six novels worth. And I've loved every bit of it. I think my sermons have become far more interesting and impactful, too. Eugene Peterson writes in Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, We cannot be too careful about the words we use. We start out using them, and then they end up using us. Our imaginations become blunted. We end up dealing only with surfaces, functions, roles. What is writing and preaching if not picking the right words? Or as C.S. Lewis put it, Don't use words too big for the subject. Don't say infinitely when you mean very. Otherwise, you'll have no word left when you want to talk about something really infinite. Finding the right word can be as important as knowing the right truth. We give attention to our words because our subject deserves it. But there is an even greater benefit that comes from caring for our words. The intentional and patient search for the right words has taught me to pay closer attention. Writing has taught me to see more, to see things I was previously overlooking, not just on the page, but in my congregation, in my own submission to Christ, in my family, and my children. My faith was beginning to become deeper by an act of writing, writing always being and flowing from an act of attention. And by cultivating a better articulation, skills of observation, I came away with far more to say, more worth writing about. As Steinbeck explained, ideas are like rabbits. You get a couple and learn how to handle them, and pretty soon you have a dozen. Care for your words, take the time to really say what you want, and suddenly you find yourself with far more to say. That is the gift and the joy of writing. It is also the gift and joy of faith. Learn to see small things, and you will inevitably stumble across things much larger. You are no longer just producing content, pushing out thoughts, publishing whatever comes to mind. But it is a kind of contemplation that seeks the right words and by it comes to find new truths, a greater participation in what God is doing. That is what I continually set out to do when I sit down to write, to find the right words, and to pay closer attention. For a while, just in writing sermons, and more recently, in writing books. In 2017, I took up the task of writing about the story of Samson. The working title is Discontent, 
how your heart's desires betray you. I'll show more about that undertaking in the future. For now, it's enough to say I started. I'm a part of a group of pastors that interact on Slack. A few weeks ago, I asked how many considered writing a part of their vocational calling. I was shocked at the response. Many had blogs they had kept private, book manuscripts that they had never really talked about, and writing goals that had for a long time been dormant. Far more cared about writing than had ever mentioned it before. Listening to this, I have a pretty good hunch that you are in that group too. There's an interesting intersection between the pastor's sacred handling of God's word and the desire to write our own, to give voice to what we have found and what we hold. That's why we are here. That's why you're listening, isn't it? There are plenty of websites, blogs, and podcasts to teach you about becoming a writer, plenty with advice on publishing and building an audience, marketing, and turning a profit. I can't promise any of that advice here. What you will find here are conversations with writers and pastors about calling and craft, about struggle and vulnerability, faith and doubt. It's partly an excuse for me to get to interview people I want to learn from. Also, it's a public documentation of my own writing and struggles, but really, it's an attempt to cultivate the kind of life that produces good writing, the kind we love to read. This podcast is a start. Where it goes, I'm not entirely sure. I'm rarely sure of where writing will go, but it's a start. I hope it inspires that same start in you. Maybe it's put best by E.B. White. Writing is an act of faith, not grammar. You might as well believe and just get started. You've been listening to the Pastor Writer Podcast. You can find more information and resources at pastorwriter.com. If you're enjoying the show, feel free to subscribe. It's the best way to know about new episodes and for others to find the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Until next time.